Well, if you weren't awake, you are now. Good morning. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. We've got a couple of visitors with us today, and so I'm going to kind of do a little, well, I do a brief recap every week, but I'm going to kind of give you some parameters. We're studying the book of James, um, and, and I've shared with the church the last couple of weeks, and I wasn't going to say all this this morning, but since we've got some new faces, I'm going to say it again. The, the temptation that we face when we, when we look at the book of James is to look at it as a list of things uh, that we should do or ways that we should act. And like Leah was praying a while ago, things we've talked about this morning is our goal is not to just um, create a new facade for people to see. Our goal is for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to change who we are on the inside, and then that to be what people see is what's happening on the inside. Um, Jesus uh, had some pretty strong words against the Pharisees, and I shared this the last couple of weeks, that he called them whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside, but full of deadness on the inside. And that's not what we want. That's not our goal. Our goal in this study is to develop true faith. And true faith develops as we encounter the truth of the gospel, and then we apply its teaching to our daily lives as we abide in Christ. Um, Singing about this this week, all of us want a deeper faith. That's why we're here. I love the testimonies that we, we heard this morning and, and also say for the benefit of our visitors, we don't have like a worship planning committee that gets together and says, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about this week. We're going to have this testimony and these songs. Like the, the children's video, I have not watched that. It's preaching my sermon. It's going to sound like a do-over today. Um, the testimonies, all of it, you'll see the Holy Spirit's going to connect those dots as we move through. But we want a deeper faith. And the thing about true faith is that it doesn't stop growing ever. Until the time we die, if we are pursuing the Lord, our faith is going to continue to grow. And that's James's goal. James, the Jesus of brother, was writing to the Messianic Jew people, the the Israelites, those that chose to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died to save them of their sins. He's, He's writing this letter to encourage them as they are going through what he calls various trials. Today, we're going to kind of finish up this last, or this, this section that James has started. You'll notice as you read through the book of James that often he says things like, my brothers or my, my dear brothers. And every time you see that, it means that he's starting a new thought. And today is the last couple of verses in this first thought in the book of, of James. Last week, we looked at verses 9 through 11, where James speaks to both those that are poor and those that are wealthy. And he offers encouragement to both by taking the focus off of their earthly status. He instead reminds them that when they pass from earth to heaven, none of that's going to matter anymore. He talked about how life is short. It's the great equalizer. That, and he talks about how we go through this role reversal where if you were poor on earth, Jesus says that you are going to inherit the kingdom of God when you go to heaven. And if you are wealthy on earth, when you die, that stuff doesn't come with you. You're also inheriting the kingdom of God, but your status is the same on either side. Regardless of our financial or social status, all of us are in the same position of being completely dependent on Jesus for our salvation and for our eternal status. Knowing that all of us will one day lose what we have on earth requires that we ask questions today while we're alive about where we're putting our faith. Have we placed it on our status or our ability to provide for ourselves? Or are we putting our faith in Jesus? Jesus promises that we can count on him to provide all that we're going to need. And the chief problem that we face here in the United States is that we look at that promise from the world's perspective. God's not talking about having huge homes or brand new cars or anything of that sort. Also, I want to remind us, I I love this, we looked at this last week, that we're not the first people to wonder what it means 
that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. We're not the only ones who wonder about if I'm not focused on my finances right now, what does that mean for me perhaps when it's time for me to retire? If you'll remember, the disciples asked Jesus about this as well. And they, they left everything to follow him. And they wanted to know, okay, Jesus, we, we left everything. We, we turned our businesses over to other people. And we've been following you for these three years. What's coming next for us? Look at this in Matthew chapter 19. Because I want you to see this again. It says, then Peter responded to him. Talking, he's talking to Jesus. He says, see, we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things. That's what we talked about last week. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. God can provide all that we need. And not just the basics. We looked at this last week too. But he's going to give us all that's necessary to enjoy life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Timothy says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. You see, when we talk about putting our faith in Jesus to provide all that we need, God's not just going to provide the things that we need to stay alive, but he's going to provide for us in a way that we can enjoy life. And I want to say again, don't interpret that from our American culture. The things that we get to enjoy about God are the things that you have heard testimony here today about, about the beauty of living in a relationship with Jesus. Joy is not found in the things of the earth, but in the blessings bestowed upon us by God. In these first 12 verses, in this first section of James's letter, he's helping the followers of Jesus to understand their newfound life. I reminded you a couple of weeks ago that for generations, those religious leaders that they had looked up to were the ones that Jesus was describing as whitewashed tombs. And so in their minds, to be a religious person, to be a person that follows God, that's what was in their mind. And so James writes this letter to say, that's not what it's about. It's about what's happening on the inside. When God begins working in a person's life, immediately they begin to see the sin in themselves and the sin around them. And James wants them to understand the truth about what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So how does a person endure the trials of life? learn from them, and then become a mature believer. James says that we're to do that by endurance with joy. And by doing so, God reveals himself to us and to the watching world. That's what Carrie was talking about with the stones. We're going to get to that some more in a minute. Look with me today at our text from James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And let's see how he wraps up this first teaching. James says this, Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he, has stood the test of t- when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then even then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin 
And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. In these verses, James deals with yet another area of theology that many have struggled with. We experience this culturally when we hear people say things like, the devil made me do it, right? You've heard stuff like that before. Like, it's not my fault this outside external force caused me to do this. Today, we're going to define and we're going to see the difference between trials and temptations. That's what James is dealing with today. We're also going to talk about how we should approach each and more specifically how our approach to both trials and temptations determines whether it is a trial or a temptation. I'll, I'll break that down in a minute. You may not realize it, but those two are very closely connected. And how we, re- how we respond is going to determine which it is that we face. In fact, this word that James is using for trial is also translated as temptation. They are the same word in Greek, perizo. So what does that tell us? It's important to know that in this same context, James is using the same word, and it's translated in two different ways. It tells us that James is talking about something that can be either a trial or temptation. The difference between a trial and a temptation comes down to where we put our focus. Let me break that down a little further, and you're going to see this this morning. Have you ever noticed that when you focus in the wrong place, everything else becomes distorted? The ability to focus is an incredibly useful tool. I'm talking about the physiological thing that happens in our eyeballs and our brains. It's a really, really incredible tool, and it's useful. For example, if you're working on something that's really difficult, the ability to train your eyes and your mind to focus on the details of that task is really important to the success or the failure of that task. On the other hand, taking a step back and learning to not focus so clearly can also be useful. And you may say, Will, when is it not useful to not focus? I'll give you a redneck example. I don't know if you're a squirrel hunter, but if you are, one of the things that I've learned is that if I focus on a particular tree and a set of branches, I am oblivious to everything else that's happening around me. And typically, that's where the squirrels are, not where I'm focused, everywhere else. And so I learned as a kid that if I can make my eyes unfocused, I can see movement everywhere. And then when I see movement, I can train my eyes on that, and then I get to see the squirrel and I get an opportunity to shoot at it. I know that's redneck. appreciate you bearing, there, bearing in there with me, okay? If you haven't been squirrel hunt before, I'll take you. Having the ability to choose where we focus and what we focus on is an incredible gift from God. However, that physical ability can also betray us sometimes. Bethany shared a video with me this week that kind of proves this idea, and if you want later, I can send it to you. But this video... It's uh, it's like a duet on TikTok, so there's a guy that's explaining what's going on, and then at the top of the frame, there's two areas with pictures of celebrities that are just changing constantly. And in between those two pictures is a crosshair, and the guy in the video, and I've seen this in other ways before, but this one is really convincing, but you look at the crosshairs and you focus on that, and you're you're listening to him as you're focusing on it, and, and what he points out and what you begin to realize is if you're focusing on that crosshair the faces of the people on the side become distorted. They become elongated. They become wider. They become alien-like. It's really kind of freaky, okay? And the reason that that happens is because your brain is so focused on the crosshairs that it can't see the faces. And so it is filling, literally filling in the blanks by what it thinks it remembers those faces look like. That's a biological thing that happens in us. 
Those things in our peripheral vision aren't what we're really seeing, but rather a distorted resemblance of what your brain thinks it's seeing. I've noticed in my own life that when my focus is not in the right place, the things around me become distorted. There's certain aspects of my job. I work for a general contractor, and, and a big part of what I do is buying gas pumps. And if you didn't know this, a gas pump like you get gas at at the Chevron down the street can cost anywhere from $25,000 up to $70,000. It's like buying a car. And there's as many options within a gas pump as there are within buying a new car. And if I get just one of those options wrong, it won't work. For example, the other day I was ordering for a truck stop we're fixing to build a million or half a million dollars worth of gas pumps. That's a lot of pressure. And so when I'm placing an order like that, guess what I do? I shut the door to my office. I don't let people in and I focus because I've not done that before and ordered the wrong stuff and then it delays the job and we got to spend more money and we got to fix the mistake. All of us, as James says, face various trials. And we heard testimony about that this morning, about some of the trials that you guys are facing. And our focus during those times is vitally important. Look at what James says about this in verse 14. We're going to kind of jump back and forth through that passage today, but let's look at verse 14. James says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. The difference between a temptation and a trial is how we respond to that temptation or trial. One of my commentaries this week said this, said now James changes very quickly from a trial for the believer to a temptation of the believer. In this word group, the trial is the idea of temptation. James says, when tempted, it's the same word for test, but now it's different. You see, a temptation is that which comes from our own sinful nature or from Satan himself. A test can come from God. And even though it's the same Greek word, we must understand the difference because there's the testing of the believer in verse 12, but there's the temptation of the believer in verses 13 through 15. You see, James uses this same word, but he's using it to mean two different things. Knowing and be able to distinguish between the two is of vital importance. Another commentator said this, in the very midst of a trial, when I'm feeling fear and sorrow and pain, if I'm asked by a friend, what danger or threat is in your life now that I may pray for you? I would probably answer, pray for the deadly disease to be healed or for my financial needs to be met or for the people to stop doing the things that are injuring me. In other words, I would think of chief injury being inflicted by the trial and my foremost concern would be for the trial to be stopped. Now in verses 13 through 18 comes a word from God that requires a radical change in our thinking. The Bible says that the trial itself is not the most seriously life-threatening factor. The greatest danger to me is not the wrong being done to me, but the wrong that may be done by me. The real threat is when wrong is done to me, um, I may be tempted to fall into sin myself. Let's be real honest for a minute. Let's just get real, real, real with each other. Trials are hard. Like, legit hard. Like, I don't want to be in this moment any longer hard. I've had enough. 
And when we find ourselves in that moment, our next thought or action will determine if that difficulty is a trial or if it will evolve into a temptation that we now have to face. When we find ourselves in that moment, our next thought or action will determine if that difficulty is a trial or if it will evolve into something worse. I'll give you an example from my own life. And I try not to talk about this a whole lot. Um, People get tired of you playing the cancer card, but I couldn't think of a more relevant example in my life. We've heard the story of Job, which, by the way, I didn't know that was going to be in the kids' video today. You're about to see what God does, okay? You've heard the story of Job. We know that Job lost everything, okay? And my thoughts yesterday as I was writing this is that I hope that Bethany's endurance with cancer a few years ago is the closest I ever have to come with what Job experienced, amen? When she had her initial surgery and the doctor told me he was pretty certain it was cancer, I was devastated, understandably. And if you know someone who's had cancer or you've been through it yourself, you know what I'm talking about. And I can tell you from my experience, it was a daily struggle for me to keep that a trial and not let it develop into temptation and then into sin. If I allowed myself to get angry and then blame God and resent him, what I was meant to endure would have been transformed into a trial or a temptation, from a trial into a temptation. Literally, the only way I could keep that from happening was to worship my way through it. And I know that may sound silly or cliche, but I am dead honest with you. In those moments, particularly in the mornings when I first wake up, is when my heart is the most vulnerable. I wake up, you're probably the same way, my mind begins to think about all the things I need to accomplish that day, and my wife is laying there next to me, and all that I can think about is the fact that she's struggling with cancer, and I'm furious about it. And the only way for me to keep my life from being consumed with anger and projecting that towards God was to run to Him. Bethany and I and some friends had put together a playlist, and so I immediately would put my earbuds in, and I would go to God, and I would bring that that anger, that frustration, all those feelings, and just lay them at His feet and let Him do with me what He needed to do that morning. By putting my focus on God instead of my feelings, I was able to endure. Let's look at another great example in Scripture of how putting the proper focus on things changes them. This is a a fairly well-known story. You've probably heard it maybe once or twice about somebody facing temptation and by putting his focus on God rather than the temptation, it was transformed just into a trial. You may have heard this one before. Look at me. It's in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, y'all know that guy? You probably heard this. Okay. He left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days to be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when it was over, he was hungry. Pause. I think Luke put that there for a reason. Raise your hand if you've ever been hangry. Yep. If I miss a meal, don't come near me. It's not going to be pretty, okay? I can identify with this part of the story. I think it's significant. 40 days? Hello. I'm mad if I miss lunch, okay? Jesus is hungry. It's been 40 days. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And then the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem. He had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels according uh, orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Jesus transformed Satan's attempts at temptation into a simply a trial by taking the focus off of himself and putting him on God. I also want to point out as a side note that you're going to see once again the same scheme that the devil uses over and over and over again is try to twist, twist God's word to make us believe God said something he didn't say. Church, I want you to see how incredible this information is because I don't think you see it yet. When you face a trial... If you put your focus on God, it stays a trial and you don't have to deal with the temptation. I'm going to say that again. If you face a trial, if you put your focus on God, it stays a trial and you don't have to face temptation. Church, you can apply this to any area of your life where you are struggling. If there's a trial or temptation that you're constantly fighting with, when those feelings start to show up, put your focus on God And they will have no chance at progressing further than the temptation. God has given you all authority and power to stop it in its tracks. Not because you're good, but because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Do we realize the power we've been given? Do we understand that when we are facing a struggle, the Holy Spirit in us has the ability to stop it in its tracks? That's a big deal. If you're struggling with gossip, when those feelings come up and you want to tell that story, when you realize it, say, God, don't do that in my life. Don't let me do that. He'll stop it. Comparing our thoughts and feelings or capturing our thoughts and feelings as we begin to feel temptation creeping in means the difference between walking in power or walking in sin. And what does a person gain when they're able to call on Jesus and endure? Let's go back to verse 12 again. James says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is. Have we heard that before? Look with me at Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes. Now remember, Jesus was James' brother. And James is drawing on all the teachings of Jesus. And he starts out this verse, just like a beatitude. The beatitudes were this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when it has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him with joyful faithful endurance comes God's blessings 
There's a few translations that, that translate James's words not from blessed, to ha- but to happy. And I, I, I noticed that this week, and I, I read this in another commentary, and I thought it was worth pointing out. He says, the tendency to translate the word happy is, mis- is a misguided effort to avoid unclear, quote-unquote, religious language and should be resisted. A person who is blessed may not be happy at all. For our emotional state may and will vary with the circumstances of life. But we can be assured that whatever those circumstances, if we endure them with faith and commitment to God, we will be the recipients of God's favor. When we endure, we are given God's favor. We are gifted God's favor. We will certainly experience that blessing in heaven, but there's, but we also live here on earth. We're going to experience it here, but maybe not like you think. Look what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5. This is right after the Beatitudes. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Y'all see in the relationship to Carrie's story today in the river and the stones? Our blessing is being made like Jesus and therefore pointing others to the goodness that is found in a relationship with him. We have a choice when it comes to how we move forward in our trials. We can be joyful and endure and going to receive a blessing at the end of that. Or we can fall into temptation and James says that leads to death. I talked about last week about how James puts the, his own illustrations in these messages. Look at verses 14 through 15 and another illustration. He says each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then after death is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. As we move through life, as we experience various trials, consider the consequences or the benefits of the decisions that you're going to make. When I was struggling as Bethany was enduring cancer, the temptation that I faced was my desire to just be mad about it. And I felt justified in my anger. I felt like I, I deserved that. I wanted to be mad. I wanted somebody to blame. However, Scripture's clear, God didn't do that. That was my sinful nature enticing me to seek out some distorted sense of justice. James tells us that when we face a trial, we have a choice to make. One leads to joy and maturity and godly wisdom. The other leads to doubt, to selfishness, and eventually to death. God's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to endure and conquer our trials. We have the opportunity to completely avoid those trials becoming temptations if we will take the focus off of ourselves and put it on God. This is a simple yet often overlooked truth. God's given us all that we need to endure, and he's done that by giving us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. It's it's only by going through the effort to focus that we can successfully endure the trials that we're going to face. I want you to hear me say this, church. 
when those trials pop up in your life, immediately take them to God. Let your focus be on Him. Let Him speak into that trial and reveal His will for you in that moment. The difference between trials and temptations comes down to where we put our focus. If you're struggling right now with some trial, take this time this morning as we close in worship to recenter yourself on God, to lay that before God. Tell Him how you feel. Address the feelings. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If you're struggling, the best thing you can do, do is be honest with God about how you feel and let Him work in that. Allow the Spirit to do what He wants to do in your heart. Let Him lead you through that trial. Ask Him for power, for wisdom, and courage to endure it joyfully. And then as James says, let that trial have its full effect on you. I love Kerry's testimony this morning because he made it so clear that God has worked in his life and has changed who he is because of the trial that they had to endure. And without that trial, he could not have learned the things about himself that God showed him. God wants to bless you. And he wants to bless the watching world around us. Because if we can endure with joy, if we can be matured in our faith as we endure with joy, the world is going to see God's glory. They're not going to see our goodness. That's going to be overshadowed by the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I'm so challenged by your message just the last three or four weeks, Father, about our need and our dependency to, to lean into you for wisdom, for our ability to endure, for our ability to avoid temptation and to endure the trials. God, this week as we are moving forward from today, whatever's going on in the lives of my brothers and sisters in this room, God, I ask that you would speak clearly about how you want to work in our lives. The things that we're struggling with, God, speak into that. Reveal your will. Give us the strength and the courage to endure. God, bring joy into our lives in the midst of our struggles. Show us the blessings that you promised by, by the blessing of being in a relationship with you and getting to experience not having to walk through that trial alone. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name.